0: the known universe with its heroes and marvels but what of the darkness in our modern world this is where monsters dwell
1: Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. And we are still in the midst of Inferno. As of last episode, the event proper had finally, after much sort of prelude and preamble, really begun. The demons have invaded New York. And that's where we're kicking things off today. And as with our other episodes in this series, we are joined by a very special guest. This week, we have joining us from the Stapled Spine. Jack Rudo. Welcome, Jack.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for inviting a piece of horror again into your guys' Tomb of Ideas landscape here.
2: You know, it's funny. We all have something in common. You're a DJ. Trey was a DJ on College Radio. And I used to pretend to be DJ from Full House.
0: <laughs> or, D- or DJ Tanner. DJ, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, thank you for having me. I'm like, I, I joke around is I have an FM radio show and I publish a paper in staple zine. And I'm also a biweekly Dungeons and Dragons DM. So I'm living my best 90s life in 2023. I mean, everything's really coming <laughs> together finally. Is Portland a liberal nerd mecca I've heard so much about? Oh, man. I wouldn't even... It's not... Nerd isn't a word we use here. Why? That's dumb. Like, do <laughs> fish call themselves wet? No. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. We... I mean, yeah, you're going to have squares and lamos and all that kind of junk here, too. But, I mean, I'm telling you, the comic shops here... I'm also the Oregon ambassador for Aftershock Comics. So, like, my... I literally get paid to go once a month around to, like, eight of the biggest comic shops in town and in outlying areas... And just talk comics, like literally just ask. And they know me, and then I don't shill for any one brand. And I'm like, yo, tell me what's up, what's happening? So yeah, I mean, there are, I was just looking now, and because I do a horror fanzine, I'm also keep track with the Oregon Film Bureau and stuff like that. Like Hollywood Theater is this gigantic old theater here that also, during the pandemic, our giant video rental store, Movie Madness, which has over 80,000 titles in it, was, a, was in fear of closing, and uh, they put up this giant crowdfunding event and like you could buy shares and stuff and it's, you know, the theater bought it. And so now the, the, they own the movie madness movie theater and well movie Hollywood theater now has a thing in the summer. They do, they show free movies out at the state parks here all around Portland and the Portland area. And they're showing movies like ET. And I think tonight is poltergeist and then Adam's family values and just all these different movies. And you just drive up like it's an outdoor, they put up a giant screen. It's free to everyone to come watch these movies. And that's a normal thing here. I mean, there's just always some sort of something happening. And bars have like one-shot nights where you can go in and play in D&D. And there's just all this Ooh. weird horror trivia night every Tuesday night. And there's just, I mean, it's it's real. It's, you know, we always say, you know, Fred and Tootie, not Fred and Carrie. Because Fred and Tootie are the founders of the band Dead Moon. And that's a big Portland, like, you know, patron saints and not Portlandia. I mean, believe me, we... Most of us hate that show almost as much as we hate Seattle. And that's just as I say that as a Timbers fan, but yeah, it's very real. It's true. It's, that's how it is here. And, and we're very proud of it. We have a, a great quarterly comic swap called Frankenstein comic swap. And it's literally, it's, there's no signings or no one like that, but it's just tables and tables. Everyone that owns a comic shop has a giant table. And literally it's just, you spend, and it was in our old mall, the, the Lloyd center mall. So it's in this old decrepit. It's like in the H and M space, something like that. And it's two floors. And it's just everyone hanging out. And, like, it's all the people you love to see. Like, you know everyone's going to be there. Today. You go to the Frankenstein swap just to chill out and bullshit with your friends. It's amazing. Great, so yeah, we're but moving. Don't, but don't move here. God, <laughs> you beat me to it. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> don't move there. What? Yeah, boo. I mean, oh, it's so lame here. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So we've brought
2: you on today to talk about, of course, as we've been doing every episode, mostly every episode this this crossover, we're looking at five different issues coming from Marvel Comics in 1988. That is Avengers number 299, Amazing Spider-Man 312, X Factor number 36, Uncanny X-Men 240, and Power Pack number 42. Trey, we're finally getting into Power Pack. Thank goodness. You know?
1: <laughs> I know that our listeners have been waiting with bated breath. When, oh when, will they ever read an issue of?
0: It's like it's the, a Marvel horror staple. That staple yeah, right. right there,
2: really. <laughs> <laughs> but first, Jack, you told us off the mic that you knew you have a long history with this era of X Men, and oh, we yeah. you might want to tell t-
0: tell us a little bit about it on a segment we've been calling previously on X Men. So let's see here. At this time, eighty eight, eighty nine. I was in seventh or eighth grade, and as you look through these books here, you see advertisements for the D&D, what's called the Red Box, and (laughs) NES was huge. And I grew up in a very small, very hot, brown and yellowed uh, Northern California town called Redding, and I-5 basically cuts it in half there. And it's basically there was a big – everyone moved up from the Bay Area in the 80s and stuff like that. It was a place to live. And you got three state radio stations, country, Christian, and country Christian. And I literally was just, like, every day getting off the bus from junior high or grade school or whatever, our bus stop was a little mini-mart. And this mini-mart had a big, giant magazine rack filled with tons and tons of Marvel comics. And I don't know, the guy didn't like DC, and so I am so biased against DC with the exception of horror. Like, I don't even (laughs) – you couldn't pry me to care. There's no way. But Marvel, man, oh, my God, it was all about it, everything huge Nightcrawler fan, and then I loved all the horror comics, and then I kind of dug Wolverine until he got too big for his britches, and Colossus. I just loved, and it was just—I realized now it was all Claremont, and then once Sylvester hit, I was like, oh my god! I would just sit and draw Sylvester panels all day long because I loved his art so much. But this Inferno was amazing. My birthday's in October, so I always love Halloween, and it's like, wait, there's there's monsters and demons invading all of the comics. What what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. Like, I don't get it. So it was like my first crossover that I actually had a little bit of pocket money of my own from chores and stuff like that, that I could, you know, spend on whatever I want. And, you know, comics were suddenly a buck. It's like, oh, my God, they're a dollar. Oh, so geez, so much. But, no, I was all about it. And when I would see that Inferno logo on top of anything, I bought it. I had to have it. It was That's what it was all about. So I distinctly remember it being hot that fall because it's always hot where I grew up and just being so excited every time I saw a new comic with that Inferno logo on the front. I had to have it very good very good so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick
2: break and we'll be right back with our look at avengers number 299 right after these messages
0: all right josh we got to do
2: this ad we got to come up with something what do we want people to know about cinepunks i don't know man i
0: feel like they should know everything about cinepunks all right we're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies romance and
2: adventure by the light of the silver screen is non-judgmental movie criticism a thing not really but we love you anyway we love cinema whether it's high art
0: or low trash
2: cinepunks we're elitist but only about real nerd shit leave a josh we have two microphones and the truth.
0: Tonight, Fox presents a world premiere motion picture from the creators of the hit comic book series, The X-Men, comes Generation X. They've got the power. They've got the technology. They're the new generation of superheroes. And they're coming yeah! to save the world. You can't win. I need some help out here. guys. Get ready for Generation X on the Fox Tuesday Night Movie.
2: Welcome back to Move Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our first issue this episode is Avengers, Volume 1, Issue 299. Writer on this one is Walter Simonson. Layouts are by John DeSimma. Tom Palmer on finishing. Bill Oakley on letters. Max Shell on coloring. Mark Grunewald's the editor. And Tom DeFalco is editor-in-chief. So we begin in an unassuming Connecticut neighborhood household, with a mother and father putting their young son to bed. We then switch to the streets of New York, where Steve Rogers, now calling himself the Captain, is battling demons in the streets. He quickly comes upon a battle between said demons and the young, then unknown team of the New Mutants. After aiding them very briefly and introducing himself to the young mutants. They part ways, and we then switch to Olympia. Olympia, the home, the home of the Eternals, where a young Sprite is bouncing around the place looking for a unnamed warrior, telling him of the ongoing demon onslaught on Earth. Meanwhile, back in that same Connecticut home, Nanny has arrived, sensing a particularly powerful young... Mutant. She sends down the orphan maker to abduct said child. He uses some pixie dust, in quotation marks, to put the child to sleep, but when he tries to make an orphan of the child, he is interrupted by an invisible force field. It turns out the child
0: is fucking Franklin <laughs> Richards. Jesus Christ, nanny. Hey, it had to be someone. Might as well start with Franklin, right? Just out of all the billions of kids on earth. <laughs>
2: So, the captain arrives at the home of Reed and Sue, thinking that Reed might be able to help with the ongoing demon invasion in New York. And that's when they discover that Franklin has been kidnapped. They're able to use the home security system to track the ship that kidnapped Franklin an hour before and go off in pursuit. Meanwhile, the unnamed warrior decides he's going to go down to Earth to help fight the demons. More on that later, I guess. We then return to Nanny's ship where she realizes she done fucked up and that the fin- two parts of the Fantastic Four will soon be on her tail. Um, said two members of the Fantastic Four, along with the captain, track the ship to Central Park where they force it to go down. Captain America then has a fight with Orphan Maker, making a fairly good showing of himself until another armored figure comes out of the ship and... And knocks Cap the fuck out. We then have the new our new red armored figure. See, one's blue and one's red. It's kinda like the knock'em sock'em robots. <laughs> and then we have the Reed and Sue battling the red armored figure and making a fairly good show of it before they realize the voice is familiar. That's because it's Franklin Richards in the armor. That of course is when Gilgamesh arrives and decides he's gonna kick some robot, but he doesn't care whose son it is. To be continued.
1: So a couple things here. First, I don't think it's fair the way the colorist fakes us out with the Reed Richards. If you look at page three, his temples are not gray. You can see where they They were drawn to maybe be gray, but they were colored brown. Mm -hmm. And then when he awakens on page 12, suddenly he's got those Reed Richards gray temples.
2: Yeah. Also, speaking of that first page... Back. sorry speaking of that second page i'm sorry that second panel there it is very clear that couple is about the fuck
0: yeah that's yes i mean if we're gonna get away from you know the <clears throat> fathers get the sons wives get the daughters and the, yeah she says oh so i think maybe we should discuss this further no problem just turn out the light hey and just wow <laughs> yep yep that
2: is that is Hmm
1: and and that's where you get Valeria Richards.
2: That's right. That's where we actually at this point Valeria would have already been hanging out at Victor's. No, Valeria oh. <laughs> at this point in continuity, she's already lost Valeria. She's already lost that pregnancy. Right. Because that was the burn run. Boy, Sue, yes. Sue's Sue's had a real good go of it, hasn't she? No, not really. <laughs> um, yeah, they totally fake us out with that with the with the coloring of the hair.
1: The second thing is Steve Rogers speaks for us all, or at least he speaks for me in this era. <clears throat> Man, there's just so many X-Books. I can't keep all this straight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> <clears throat> I don't know who these kids are.
2: Yeah, th- there are a lot of mutants out there. And it's it's kind of funny that, like, Captain America is just like, I have no idea who these kids are. Uh, well, but they, seem, America, to kn- but the they seem to
1: know what they're doing, and I'm okay with that.
2: <laughs> yeah, v- very different from the Captain America we'll see later, who's telling the Young Avengers that you know
0: teenagers shouldn't be heroes and yeah. tracking
1: down the Runaways and like wagging his finger at them.
0: Yeah. The one thing I picked <laughs> up that's just maybe from my corner of the U.S. here is when I see Sunspot, I'm like, oh, it's Oregon's Avenger. When they when they <laughs> di- when they did the the each state gets an Avenger. All of us in Oregon are like, wait, we get the guy that's powered by the sun? Hold on. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Who did South Carolina get, Trey?
1: I don't think it was ever revealed.
0: What? Yeah, we we, we just. It, it's. I thought it, from here, I thought it was Colbert. Isn't Colbert your guy's Avenger?
1: I mean, that that would track,
2: yes. I mean,
0: um, he, he he has got America's shield, so yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. It, there were a bunch of states that it was just never revealed. They just, they
0: wore out, Uh, they got tired of it, like, all right, no one cares, we better stop.
1: Yeah, I I guess, what, secret invasion eventually happened or whatever, and they just kind of abandoned the whole
2: state initiative. Yeah. And... I guess we might share the UFOs with North Carolina. Oh,
1: North Carolina, yeah. North Carolina had the UFOs, which was a a Bill Matlow Incredible Hulk creation.
0: Mm Mm-hmm
2: that's just sad
0: yeah so i don't think i was ready when i read this of just how bifurcated this is like two comics jammed in one one issue here is that it literally mm-hmm. is like it's the <clears throat> new york and the demons explaining all the teams to get you up to speed if you're a reader as a kid like okay is this is this and magic is like just in a, a skin suit of red and then ronnie God, okay sorry i've just recently found her name is rain all these years as a child i thought her name was ronnie Oh. The, the werewolf girl from yeah and yes. it's like i obviously now looking back see how like scary women like were embedded in my brain as something desirable because i'm like whoa ronnie <laughs> and then i'm like magic whoa magic <laughs> <clears throat> but then yeah it goes from that the new york city demon battles the suddenly we're on mount olympus and everything is white and green and clean and crisp and like, it's Olympia.
2: O- oh, sorry,
0: Olympia, Olympia, like Olympia, yeah. Washington, where the beer comes from. Very good.
2: Yeah,
1: it's 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 funny. This is the second Avengers issue we've done as an Inferno tie-in, mm-hmm. and it really feels like Marvel is taking advantage of the fact that the Avengers don't exist right now mm-hmm. to basically <laughs> use this as kind of a, a general event book. You know, like if this was to come out today, it would be like inferno alpha number one or something like yeah, that yeah
0: it does feel a little junk drawery now looking at it it's like okay this goes here and that goes there and then that second half i'm sorry what are the name what's the name of the egg and the faceless black knight character robot personally uh, so
1: nanny nanny and the orphan maker
0: okay they're if they're not the most mcfarland looking thing i've ever seen in my life before mcfarland figured out what McFarlane was i mean it's it's comically just ugh i'm sorry <laughs> i'm letting my bias show but Woof.
1: <laughs> Nanny looks like a character from one of the sci fi movies that would come out in the mid eighties ripping off Star Wars.
0: Yeah. But I want I want the voice to be like, oh no, it's the captain. Oh Right. Like it ought
1: to be voiced by Roddy McDowell or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and I, I will say
2: I am not ins I I have never been a fan of Tom Palmer mm-hmm. as an artist. At least on superhero books. I just don't sure. think he's suited for superhero books yeah we've seen him do some horror stuff which he's which he's fine with
0: Mm -hmm.
2: but he just doesn't work with superheroes his his style is too real world yeah and not in the way that say like alex ross
0: works with superheroes yeah and then you feel like it's being it's a nudge too far to like then take his frame of vision and push it into supernatural or other stuff like that it feels like it's being stretched beyond his like the elasticity of what he can do there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
1: it, it seems almost like like the Shema is trying to do something almost Kirby-ish especially with the technology mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the Gilgamesh stuff all looks very Thor mm-hmm. uh, but the the inks are kind of working against
0: it yeah and it's also it's like you get when you're doing it, the Inferno stuff always felt like, and especially as you get into some of the Simonson and Silvestri, it's like Heronius Bosch. Like you've got all these just, you can go wacky with all the different physical, weird, like organic nuttiness of evil, you know? So then when you try and climb back into technology, it just is a weird, like just a halting kind of feeling.
1: Yeah, it's funny. On the one hand, I had fun reading this book because it's, it's, it is just sort of a series of action beats. It's, a, it's several vignettes strung together. And I enjoy this era of Steve Rogers, even if this era of the Avengers isn't the best part of his stuff.
2: No, no. Oh. We should probably talk about the cow in the room here. Right. Gilgamesh, the forgotten one, so-called because everyone forgets he's a Marvel Comics character.
1: What? what, what what's that? I'm sorry. Someone mentioned an Eternal and I dozed off again.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. Yeah, that's what happened it was we started talking about Gilgamesh and suddenly I just blacked out. So <laughs> <laughs> No, I distinctly remember. This I dollars i this 299 is amazing because I, I didn't I missed this. Like I hadn't I didn't thought, why would I read Inferno in, in Avengers? That's dumb. And then I remembered the next month in the uh the Mini-Mart where I bought my comics, it was an all white cover with like just the most sterile kind of square lame art of Avengers 300, and it just even the cover looked like, all right, I guess. And then you read it, and it's like, it's oh, my two least favorite members of the Fantastic Four are part of them there. And, and then this Gilgamesh guy that time forgotten, what's his powers? It's, oh, geez. So, yeah, it was a weird, aimless time for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have that problem with the Inhumans, though. Like, I try to read an Inhuman story and I, and I just fall asleep. it's It's terrible.
0: And, you know, you, yeah. you you want to give it a chance, like with Gorgon and Karnak. And and again, this is, okay, it's it's the Marvel handbook to the universe's fault. You love that. You get those, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to find out more about this. That's how it was with Scourge of the Underworld. Bro, I went and bought every single Scourge of the Underworld comic I could after reading that entry. But, like, you read all <laughs> these, like, the Eternals, and they're like, all right, that could be cool. And you actually get a comic in your hand, and it's like, this is not cool. This is lame. And
1: And, and it, clearly, this sort of chariots of the gods kind of story resonated deeply with jack Kirby because mm-hmm. he kept mm-hmm. doing it yeah he did it with humans, he did it with eternals he did it with the new gods over at dc yep. and in my opinion the only version of it that ever really worked was the new gods mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. even then it only worked mostly when kirby was doing it <laughs> and gilgamesh's
2: costume like what the hell were they thinking
1: I I just I wanted cause there's the bit where where she tells him go reforge your armor. I wanted the next page to be her saying, No, not like that. Something <laughs> cool. <laughs> the heroes will make fun of you if you wear
0: that. Just, just one word bubble of try again. <laughs> he, 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 he's the mighty cowman. I love this this his quote here. It says, I am long out of practice. A weapon too long in the scabbard, whose edge has been dulled by time and rust.
2: What? <laughs> i mean he's obviously supposed to fill the thor mm-hmm. slot right on a team yeah like that's
1: the thing is he sh- he materializes out of nowhere in this this cloud of smoke that that looks like something out of a 60s issue of the avengers mm-hmm. 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 and and i feel like steve should just get up off the ground and and say who are you and why aren't you thor
0: yeah exactly yeah.
2: I mean, at least give us
0: like Beta Ray Bill. This is not Beta Ray Bill comes around, right? Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think so. I think he already came around at this point.
0: Yeah, give oh. us Beta Ray Bill, oh, yeah. I just like his is he... entrance is sound as boom, and you're like, ooh, wee, and then you're like, oh man. <laughs> it's it's like like he shows up and and nanny in the
1: little egg suit is like, wow, and I thought my costume was bad. <laughs>
0: And Nanny is an egg with a Sansa belt and like big like uh, uh, prospector gloves. It's
2: (laughs) and you talk about Reed and Sue being on the team. You, You know, you say they're they're at least your least favorite Fantastic Four members. I don't have any least favorite Fantastic Four members. I love them all.
0: Okay, they're great. Well I am a they're fantastic is that is that your stance Yeah, yeah I, I, that, I didn't mean to so. a, that's a real <laughs> a real hot take there. Boy, you're going right. out on the edge there. Look out. People are, they're going to come at I'll you, say, bro.
1: <laughs> I like Reed when he's not written to be a sociopath.
0: Mm. Yes. Yes. I am a hardcore I... Ben Grimm fan and oh, yeah. and Doom fan. Oh, he... I'll read In fact, I have a subset of my collection that's called Doom's a Dick. And it's any comic that isn't a Fantastic Four with Doom on it, like Dazzler or like, you know, Cloak and Dagger and Doom's just there. Or or the idea of Daredevil fighting, it's like, stop it.
2: (laughs) And it's funny, you know, the thing about Reed Richards, and this is the thing I get, like, you'll forget the Jack Kirby Reed Richards. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Reed Richards, as drawn by Jack Kirby, used to go on missions with Nick Fury during World War II. Yeah, right? right. Yep. Like,
1: he, that character was created at a time when that kind of pipe
2: smoking he was rusty action venture scientist, senior yeah
1: yeah like yeah, he, exactly or, or johnny quest's dad mm-hmm. like he's that kind of guy
2: exactly he sounds
0: a bit like this that's right
1: he's the hero of every 50s sci-fi movie
2: exactly
0: and he's always telling johnny you'll understand as you get older son <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and people like to try to portray him as like this nerd, this little nerd. I'm like, no, that's not who Reed Richards is. That's why I liked John Krasint- Kras- Krasinski is Krasinski, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's why I like John Krasinski as Reed Richards. I'm like, yes, that is that is Reed Richards.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. And unfortunately,
2: this looks like we're getting that in the next outing of the Fantastic Four in MCU. But oh, well. But yeah, they don't belong in the Avengers, though. That's what I was just trying yeah, to say. No, they're and, just a, and, they're, and in the
0: Avengers, they still wear their Fantastic Four garb. Yes. Yep. Everyone yep. else is getting okay. different in costumes fact, and these jerks got to sit around in their stuff. What the hell? Well, we're talking
1: Fantastic Four costumes. There's a page here. That's right after Steve Rogers arrives at the Richards home. Mm-hmm. We see a panel of Reed taking off his pajama top. And in the next panel, he's in his full Fantastic Four
0: outfit. Oh yeah, you're right.
1: Steve and Sue are in the room in both panels. (laughs) Are we to assume that he just completely stripped down in front of (laughs) Cap?
0: I I instantly imagine that with Reed's powers, he can make a layer of his flesh go out around (laughs) him like a weird dressing room of skin. And inside, he's changing clothes. That is that a thing? Maybe that's too much plastic man talk. I'm not sure.
2: Anyways. That's, that's... Nothing you haven't seen before, Captain. No, I definitely haven't seen that before. <laughs> he
0: is something I haven't seen before.
1: <laughs> that Your idea is plausible and also very upsetting, I imagine.
0: It's I very all, much yeah.
2: appreciate your Venture Brother references, by the way. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> but yeah, th- this, this issue works when it's Steve Rogers rushing from fight to fight Mm -hmm. as literal pandemonium breaks out around it
0: true true okay i can see that being the lynch if you have that as a lynchpin i agree it should be it kind of what the hell
1: when it tries to be an avengers book
0: yeah yeah
2: i kind of feel like we're cheated actually that we don't get like avengers costumes for reed and sue like come on show us some costume design there Mm -hmm. even thing when he joined the west coast avengers he had like you know blue trunks with a red stripe instead of the red, regular right. white yeah. stripe
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Or, or like when when former x people like beast joined the avengers like they didn't look the way they did in
0: the x-men oh and i'll tell you what i love me some avengers hank mccoy he's so much better That's as it. an avenger oh my god please stop that although that was as, far a as, as,
2: as far as beast costume in avengers it is very clear that george prez was Meaning to draw him naked and just in underwear
0: is a is afterthought. Yeah. Oh, we better right. put a buckle on that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's it's a somewhat it, it's a fine issue. It's somewhat disappointing as an Avengers issue. Sure. Yes. Weirdly, the
1: the better Avengers issue was two ninety eight, where most
2: of the issue was just Jarvis. Oh yeah, we 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 love Jarvis around here. Yeah. Yeah. But but Jack. Since your show is usually a music show, yeah. we, we asked you if you had song recommendations for our issues this episode. I do. What is your song recommendation for Avengers 299?
0: 299 is actually built right in the first page, honestly. The first page, the I Heart New York. And it's the boxes read, and of course, the inter, the first page is Times Square, New York City. And we've got demons coming out of a hole, a portal in the air. Each year, its streets and sidewalks are flooded with tourists. They take pictures, spend money, block traffic, and gawk at the sites. Today is an especially good day for gawking. So that instantly I heard Fear's New York's All Right, <laughs> which is a song. Actually, the full title, I think, is New York's All Right If You Like Saxophones. And it's the band Fear, Lee being the lead singer, just going, "New York's all right if you like saxophones," and then a like a really annoying saxophone sound. So it's like this really gritty, like New York sucks, but we love it anyways kind of song. And it just that came booming into my head as I read this opening for this, <laughs> this episode. And for you listeners at home, here it is. Here they were Belushi. The first time I don't know if you guys know the story. The first time that Belushi got to book a band on Saturday Night Live way back then, he booked Fear. And not knowing, they didn't know who it was. Belushi and Ackroyd were big punk fans, as that was happening in New York City, and and they they played it. You can see it on YouTube, and it is a riot because in the crowd was members of Black Flag and like I think another couple of other bands. So they just all all these kids that were in these punk bands rushed the stage. I think it was '80 80 or '81, and it was just it was pandemonium. It was bonkers. And Belushi never got to book a band ever again. Lauren Michaels was like, "Nah, fam, cut that off." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was the Donald Pleasance episode. That's why it's amazing because Donald oh, Pleasance was hosting, and I'm a huge Pleasance fan, and he was hosting, and the musical guest was Fear, and it was like October, so it was like a Halloween type of thing. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> I can also just imagine that you're Donald Pleasance. No, I, I don't like this at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It, seriously, yeah, it was, Halloween had been out for a couple of years, and they hadn't. I don't think they did Halloween two yet, and so yeah, <laughs> he was coming to grips with him suddenly and I not being a, a, a Shakespearean thespian British guy.
2: You know? <laughs> I think he finally made peace at a certain point with being a genre actor. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, like in, once he you know, starts later doing line,
1: the Italian stuff, especially.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenon. <laughs> Oh man, that was that was that. I never heard that song before. Pretty good stuff. Excellent. Thank you Um, very much. Yeah. Okay.
1: And our next issue is the Amazing Spider-Man number three twelve. This is written by David McLeany. Pencils by Todd McFarlane. Inks also Todd McFarlane. So this is a gorgeous book, right, guys? Gorgeous. Uh, Colorist is Bob Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) Letterer is Rick Parker. Editor is Jim Salakrum. Okay, so we're continuing off of the previous Spider-Man issue, which was Web of Spider-Man 47, and the Hobgoblin has terrorized Harry Osborn and his family, he attacked them at their home, and Harry, in order to get the Hobgoblin to leave, told him that whatever he's looking for is being held in a safe in the Oscorp Tower. And after that, Harry had a bit of a breakdown. He starts recovering bits of his lost memories. He finds the goblin suit in his attic. He puts it on, of course, because that's what you do when you find a goblin suit in your attic. And despite being worried that he might lose his sanity again, he decides to become the Green Goblin in order to try and stop Hobgoblin Goblin from attacking his family. And so he flies off into the night as a slightly saner Green Goblin. Meanwhile, Peter and Mary Jane are spending some time together before they both leave for work, each seeming to want the other to stay, but neither being willing to to say it out loud. We then shift to Osborne Osborne Chemical Company, where Hobgoblin is furious because Harry lied. There there was no secret formula hidden in the the tower. And so we have a goblin fight. Hobgoblin versus Green Goblin. But before that, we have Peter check in at the Daily Bugle, where Jameson is ranting because the printers are spitting out pornography, and the city is basically erupting into chaos. He takes out some of his anger on Peter and then storms Meanwhile, the goblins continue to fight, neither really gaining the upper hand, although Hobgoblin has more experience and a little bit more of an edge because he's not afraid, whereas Harry has never done the goblin thing in full control of his faculties, and so he's sort of being held back by his, his fear and insecurity. Peter tries to check in at ESU, but because of the events of Inferno, classes have been canceled and only staff are allowed inside. Meanwhile, inside the building, Kirk Connors goes to the cafeteria to get some food, and it is suggested that the lizard might become a problem in the near future. Peter then goes home where he finds a note from Liz Osborne telling him that Harry has disappeared. And so Peter changes into Spider-Man and goes off to investigate. Meanwhile, Mary Jane is working a photo shoot where suddenly the jewelry that she is modeling turns into demonic snakes and starts attacking everyone. Spider-Man swings toward Oscorp Tower right into the middle of the goblin fight. Carrie orders him to stay out of the way, but also reveals he doesn't remember that Peter is Spider-Man. So that part of his memory hasn't come back. Spider-Man jumps into the fight anyway, back at the photo shoot. MJ grabs an axe and starts hacking the gold spider the gold snakes to bits. And Peter manages to attach a web to Hobgoblin's glider and is following close behind until Hobgoblin notices and swings him into a water tower. The goblins continue to fight, and Harry is able to get the upper hand by doubling back, coming in from above, and dropping all of his pumpkin bombs at once on the Hobgoblin, which causes the Hobgoblin's glider to short out. He has to do sort of a uh, semi-controlled crash landing, and Harry reveals that there is no green goblin he was destroyed long ago and he calls the Hobgoblin an idiot. Just then Hobgoblin is about to kill Harry. He, he uses his sparkler attack from his fingertips, but Spider-Man jumps in and saves Harry and congratulates Harry on doing a good job, suggesting that New York could always use another crime fighter no listeners New York has plenty of crime fighters they don't need <laughs> Harry Osborn in a goblin
2: costume Captain America can't keep track of them. in fact
1: right right and luckily Harry says no I'm not crazy anymore that's a dumb idea I'm going home to my family Spider-Man <laughs> yeah, besides,
2: everyone knows that there's no such thing as a heroic green goblin that can never happen right
1: that's the sort of thing that would be in some sort of alternate universe mm. and why just event-
0: stop at green there's so many other colors
1: Oh, trust me, Marvel has not stopped.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a golden idea. Oh.
1: <laughs> Spider-Man swings off into the night, parting ways with Harry. Meanwhile, demons continue to ravage Manhattan. And apparently, Kirk Connors has indeed become the lizard to be continued.
2: I hate the way McFarlane dream draws Green Goblin here.
0: Really? I hate the way McFarlane draws everybody. Is that, so is that, here's the is thing that too harsh? Sorry. The thing that's funny
1: is I actually like his Hobgoblin a lot. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was about okay. To say the same thing. I'll give you the Hobgoblin because it's the only one that has any sort of like angles to it. Everything else, ears, noses, it all looks like it's, it looks like Calvin's shoes from Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know. It's just when, it's when, so soft and round and When he and draws dumb.
1: Hobgoblin, when he draws Hobgoblin, he's bringing in a little bit of what he did when he was at DC doing Batman. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh um, and, and and you it, it sort of is a preview of the kinds of designs he would do in spawn. Like it it's yeah. sort of that's peak McFarlane right there is, is especially the shadows and the capes and all that. But but yeah, the Green Goblin design
0: doesn't suit his pencil. Yeah, nothing has depth. Like if you look at the arms and the ears and the necks, it's like that wouldn't hold up anything i like, get i know it's a comic book blah 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 But man some of them are just like it's so distracting to me i'm like ugh and believe me i loved me some spider-man back then but whoof. but i mean i'm talking like you know sal busema the, the spider tombstone you know spider-man this is not my jam
2: and
1: yeah he's he's not great at perspective
2: no all, all of his, all of his work here looks like the the image the the file I have got corrupted somehow, and like the image got stretched.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Especially
1: it, when he draws regular humans, yeah, like people not in masks or costumes,
0: they all have these very long faces. Everyone's very rubbery, yeah.
1: And sometimes, sometimes it works. There are certain characters that you can get away with that on, but. I don't know when, when you're going for the kind of heightened soap opera that Spider-Man is sort of supposed to be. If your characters look like cartoons, you're you're not buying into the human emotion. Yeah. Up.
0: I like the What is the page with the Peter and Marianne talking? And it ends with that bottom rectangular box. Well, see ya. Yeah. See ya. And they both just look like, I don't know, just sad, bloated cartoons. It's, yes. it totally betrays the words on the page. Like, Oh, Womp womp! Cartoon is sad, yeah. And yet the story, the
2: story here is good. Oh, it's damn good! It's damn good. Yeah. sure. Like I really like Harry being like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, shit. Mm-hmm. shit, shit, shit. the whole time he's on the Goblin Glass. He's like, oh shit, shit, yep. shit, shit, shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Which you know, a reasonable person would be while riding on a you know gliding death machine, mm-hmm. right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, with just, yeah, foot hooks. That's it. You got you put your feet in these in these straps and you're good to go. Yeah. But, it, of course, he doesn't realize that Peter
2: is Spider-Man, which he hasn't recovered his memory to that point. He just knows that his father was the Green Goblin right. and that he himself had been the Green Goblin at one point.
1: And presumably remembers that Spider-Man was involved in the Green Goblin's death.
0: And we've yeah. also got Dr. Connors here, too, which is one of my favorite characters to read and, and look at. And it's like, ugh, I can't even stand to look at him in this. But again, it's written awesome. Like if someone, if this were an audiobook, if someone were to read it, I'd be like, "Oh, yeah. this rules!" Even
1: the glimpse, even the glimpse of the lizard's face in the last panel. Yeah, he looks like like Hanna Barbera Godzilla.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the fingers are atrocious. Like, what is that? What are you doing, man? Come on, shoot! shoot. Like,
2: I think the reason McFarlane was popular during the time is just because no one had seen artwork like that before. Yeah. Because it was new and different. It wasn't like, say, the Marvel style, as it were.
1: It it, it is. There are better versions of this, but it's expressionistic.
2: You know, it's called, it's it's, it's doing. hmm? It's called Humberto Ramos. (laughs) Sure, sure.
1: (laughs) But but even like, like over at DC, someone like Kelly Jones. Mm Will be doing something similar with Batman, arguably better.
0: Oh, yeah, no. But I mean, when you're talking like a Kelly Jones or someone that's like a a horror focused artist like that, it's like, yeah, but then they pointed him at stuff like, you know, Deadman comics and like stuff that's like actually it works. Whereas this, when I look at that page of. J. Jonas Jameson screaming about the copy machine. I'm like, oh my god, can I turn the page already? It's so just... And then, yeah, MJ, I'm telling you again, as I look at this, it's like, boy, everything written here is awesome. I wish I could see this comic how it's supposed to look, because... This is not what I want. But boy, everything, the idea of everything I see on the page, that's really cool. That's Inferno. Inferno is happening. But then you've got these other like self-struggle stories of of the Green Goblin coming to grips and then also Dr. Connors. I'm like, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening written here. It's a great comic. But then you throw it through that lens and it's like, ugh.
1: The storytelling of this is very impressive considering that it is both maintaining the ongoing continuity of Inferno. Mm -hmm. while also maintaining internal continuity with two or three other Spider-Man books.
0: Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: yep. And the stakes for Inferno are actually felt here, whereas they weren't, I think, Trey, in some of the previous Spider-Man issues we talked about in this crossover. Yes,
1: yeah. The first Inferno tie-in,
2: for people who maybe
1: don't remember, turned out to be a Mysterio fake-out.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
2: And it, it, so, like, we get that scene with like Mary Jane and the snake she's wearing to, in a jewelry ad come to life, mm-hmm. and you know, start, start attacking people. Which, by the way, we get another very weird McFarland panel with all the people just pulling out sharp objects. Yeah, let's get them, boys. Yes. It's like, wait, like, what? what? <laughs> that
0: panel, and, and that guy on words. the
1: right in the foreground looks a little bit demonic himself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's they all why do they all suddenly have like gardening shears and stuff there that the in the photo shoot? I don't know. Yeah. Let's just turn the little buggers of scraps.
1: (laughs) I do like this version of MJ just Mm -hmm. grabbing an axe and going to town.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Fire axe attacking the the jewelry snakes for sure. Yeah.
1: That's a woman, who's a woman surviving was... to the end of
0: the horror movie right there. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. She, she's
2: she's definitely <laughs> seen some stuff in her life at this point.
0: Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I like that that we have to be pointed out that gold is a very soft metal squish. Right. <laughs> so, so, Jack,
2: what song came to mind with this issue of Amazing Spider-Man?
0: Well, like I said, as I read these issues, I picked out five songs just in the general, like, kind of atmosphere mind of it. And this one, I actually, was my hardest one to pick out of my songs. And this one I picked is The Cramps Surfing Dead. And that is kind of a slow burn of a song that was used in neither Return of the Living Dead, famously on that soundtrack. But it made me this one the most because it was about osborne wrestling with the green goblin mentality and it's like just this kind of like but it's also a spider-man and a glider focused issue so it kind of gallops up and down and it's like floating through the air so that one definitely started to the more i thought about it it definitely rocked in there with the the cramp surfing dead
1: yeah i think i only know that one from the front of the living
0: yeah i was gonna say i i know this one because Return to Living Dead. (laughs) That's not a bad reason to know the song. That's an excellent reason to know the
2: song. It really is. I actually watched it for the first time earlier this year. Mm. And I was very happy with it.
0: And so then all of the the July 3rd memes start to make sense, right? Because that's how it opens up. July 3rd. Yeah. Was was this the striptease song?
2: This wasn't a Strip Steve song, right? No,
0: it wasn't. No, I can't remember what Quigley stripped to. I haven't seen it in a while. I don't think it's, so. It's
1: more up-tempo than this.
0: Yeah, and this is more of like a montage kind of song, Surfing Dead is, for that movie.
1: What's cool about this song is it's, like, it's punk, but it's really kind of just doing, like, a 50s rock and roll vibe.
0: Yeah, well, the Cramps huh. are definitely, like, kind of associated as being one of the first wave of Psycho Billy. So they were definitely yeah, more... Yeah more country and Billy and surf and stuff like that but it was all about monsters and demons and yucky stuff so that gave the psycho portion of it yeah and again surf and dead you know it's heat wave in New York and all that so it was like yeah here we go <laughs> it's the latest
2: twist to the my next issue is x factor number 36 writer on this one is louis simonson penciler is walter simonson Inker is bob wycheck letter is joe rosen petra scotese petra scotese yep it's the colors bob harris's editor editor-in-chief is tom defalco and first let's talk about this cover it is a fantastic cover Mm-mm. Like the demons are coming in. It's by Simonson. Yeah. The demons are coming in, and they are destroying the corner box.
0: Yeah, it's very like a, yeah beta ray bill smashing up the Thor yeah. cover, and it and I distinctly remember this sticking out of like just on the shelf when it was new, like of all the other comics that were there and whatnot. You know, absolutely, it's like oh snap, that's definitely an Inferno book.
2: Yes, very much so, and of course we have X Factor going going full out against the demons here. Inside the book, we have Beast and Iceman rescuing Calvin from a demon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed that. You're right. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> actually, it actually looks
2: like they're rescuing him from a mimic oh, if you, for any of our DD yes, players out there. Absolutely. Uh, as they do so, Trish looks on. Trish then has a reunion with Hank, who has undergone a transformation back into his bouncing blue form since their last meeting. And Trish seems taken aback by this new beast, who she hasn't met. I guess she fell in love with, you know, the, the Flowers for Algernon beast, <laughs> as it were.
1: <laughs> and that's... Yes, actually.
2: <laughs> and then we have the... Some more fighting of... the and um, objects coming to life, including a train bursting out of the ground like a sandworm from Dune and eating fish.
0: It's a graboid.
2: Yep.
1: <laughs> That's we actually, then, the, the timing is about right for, for that to be <laughs> the the reference point.
2: <laughs> we then check in with Archangel, who tells the, oh god, what's his name?
0: Nah- Nahastra? Yeah. What's it? Nah, it's N-Y uh, something. Nastir? Nastir,
2: who tells Nastir, I'm coming for you, and I'm going to bring friends, too. So he's he's on his way to New York. Meanwhile, Gene and Scott are also on their way to New York, using Gene's psychic connection with Scott's son, Christopher, to guide them in, even though the psychic impulses she's getting from the infant are almost overwhelming her. Meanwhile, Hank and Bobby try to consult the people on the train, with Beast doing his best glad-handing... Hey, I, I was a an video. Anybody want an autograph thing going on here? And then, of course, they finally are able to stop the train, eventually ending up at... I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge?
0: No, Manhattan uh, Bridge. Manhattan uh-huh. Bridge. Yeah, the, the Manhattan m- Bridge. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm saying, yeah. Subway Worm Roars through its tunnel, and uh, the Manhattan Bridge crossover East River into Brooklyn.
2: Yeah. With Beast finally being the one to defeat the train worm with the help of Trish who does some very irresponsible swinging from steel cables here (laughs) what was she thinking like who? (laughs) no meanwhile as Gene and Scott arrive in New York City they lose contact with Christopher and almost run into the now much taller Empire State Building they then fight a plane turned into a demon before reuniting with bobby and and hank just in time to and then there's a bit here i did not talk about where beast has a serious conversation with trish about you know what she's actually turned off by she's not turned off by his new furry form she's turned off by the attitude the flippant kind of everything's a joke attitude the superhero persona right right anyway X-Factor's reunited just in time to meet the onslaught of demons coming in from Times Square to be continued next issue. This was is good. Yeah. This was a very good issue. Yeah. And I, I actually I think it's really interesting, the, the point
1: you brought up at the end there. It's funny because we get these dueling thought balloons where Trish is thinking about how upsetting it is that he's so flippant and, and macho and all, all of this. Whereas he is thinking... I've got to keep it light and distracting, downplay the danger, keep people from panicking. It's like there's a reason he's doing what he's doing, and it's it's the superhero persona. It's the reason Spider-Man quips.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Bobby <clears throat> comes in. It's like, hey, guys, communication is important. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, also about your
1: feelings. Let
0: me get this off my chest right away. Archangel is a billion times better than Angel. When this happened, 100%. I remember thinking, oh, he's blue and purple and has metal wings to shoot razor blades. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And, yeah, yeah. no, this is like straight up. Oof, this is why this team's badass, man. At the end here, it's like Warren, death, angel. All right, people, here's the break we've been waiting for. And it's like, was it page 30 is what it marks in the actual book. And it's like tight little boxes. Let's do it. Cut them. Freeze them blow them apart whatever it takes to get the job done like oh snap dude the original team's here to mess shit up
2: (laughs) i do have a soft spot in my heart for the original five x-men yeah and when
1: i think of them this is the specific version i picture oh it's the most fun because they're not
0: goofball kids and whatever else i mean this is like bang like this is the heightened realized team here
1: but even more than like the Jim Lee redesigns, what I picture are these outfits
0: right here. Mm-hmm. But Beast in brown and uh, I don't that brown and yellow is but, weird. But so you know, he, he you needs just to accept get back it. To the trunks. Yeah, yeah.
2: You guys remember the X Men Evolution episode where they find a way to create a story where all these characters get have an adventure together? I don't remember that
0: episode. I remember the show, but not that episode. That sounds interesting.
2: There's an episode because. Warren never really was an X Men in the X-Men Evolution storyline. Right, right. So they had to find a way to get Beast, Scott, Gene, and Bobby and Warren all into an adventure together. It's actually a pretty fun little episode. Huh. All right. Yeah. On the list. Yeah.
0: That's sort of like
1: all- the sort of like that episode of, of Justice League Unlimited where they sort of bent over backwards to basically do a Marvel Defenders story by finding DC analogs to all the Defenders characters. Yep. Yep.
2: I really like the thing between I and I you're like you said, I really like the thing between Trish and Beast here where they're having that those that dueling perspective. But I really like Bouncing Blue Beast. Oh, yeah. Me Come too. on, man. I'm so glad. I love it. I love him coming in trains like anybody want an autograph? And listen, like, <laughs> here's <laughs> and the and thing the too. Is, go ahead.
0: You, you, you
1: shouted it out earlier, but he's the former Avenger. Like he's the guy that if anybody if they're going to recognize either of them, it's him.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing is Hank, like, I don't know for him. He's one of those, he's like, he's one of the mutants that can't hide. He always looks like this. This is what I look like. Yeah. even when he's like not furry, he's still like, Oh shit, what's that guy's deal. Like he's always been like that, but he's super brainy. It's like, you know, I love this stuff where, you know, he's a philosopher the same like you know peter is this painter on a on a on a cliff painting a sunset like you know colossus i love those types of things that they add to these guys he's not just some big buff guy he's like hangs upside down and plays the violin or cello or something i don't know it's that it, it adds so much to him
2: and trish is like how is he joking right now and he's like gotta keep joking gotta keep people from freaking out mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. it's it's really good mm-hmm. uh and Although
1: I, I say that about Beast being the most well-known as a former Avenger. I like to think there's that one hipster at the back of the subway who's like, oh, yeah, Iceman's my favorite champion.
0: <laughs> just just to be contrary. Yeah, Iceman! Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all your singles, bro, before you went pro. It's awesome.
2: <laughs> Me, meanwhile, Warren denies ever being a champion. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, Jack, what song comes to mind for this very excellent issue oh, of X Factor? This one was
0: super easy, guys, and it's my most favorite band. I named my daughter after this band. It is this energy here that's put out by 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 Hank and by Ice Man, by Bobby and everybody. It's simply it's the Ramones' "Rockaway Beach." It's if you listen to that song, it is where it's summertime. We're in New York. You know, we're moving around. It's a quick clip and it's just like, man, this is our town and we're going to save stuff. It it just embodies this entire episode for me because the whole episode, there's like no, like there's little tiny bits of people stopping and talking and having heart to hearts. But shit's going down rapidly around you. Like this whole episode moves so fast. It kind of gives me anxiety. And that's what I do, is the Ramones' Rockaway Beach. That's the Ramones,
2: awesome. perhaps best known to many of our listeners for doing an excellent cover of the Spider-Man theme song. Absolutely. Most <laughs> definitely.
1: Personally, I'm I'm a fan of uh, Rock and Roll High School. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, Rock <laughs> and Roll <laughs> High School, the sequel with Corey Feldman, right? <laughs> what? Oh, Sea Dog <C-Dawg> Forever.
1: <laughs> I actually have never seen that I know it exists. I've seen, like, the VHS
0: cover and stuff, but I've never actually seen it. Ah, oh, what a bleak existence. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I love yeah, PJ VHS Souls, power. Clint Howard.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Paul <laughs> it,
1: yeah, the, the, the energy of this song really does sort of pay off the promise of even just the cover of the issue, where, where literally the, the action is, is rocking the cover apart, sort mm-hmm. of.
0: Shaking it to pieces. Yep. Absolutely. And it does. It pays off. You get that. What you see on the cover is by the time you get to the end, that's where you're at. Okay. So this. That is, was excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. It was, it's interesting yes. because when you guys had mentioned, think of songs of this. And at first, you know, my brain is so filled with other just novelty horror rock. But then I actually reread these and I'm like, man, it's the 80s. It's New York. It's a heat wave. Like, ugh. So then it, it really just. I didn't. I kind of stopped thinking about it, and as I read it, the songs, like, the soundtrack kind of popped into my head. It's like there was, I don't know if you guys are familiar, there was an old comic book called Scud, the Disposable Assassin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of Scud, they would actually have, like, who's the voices of the characters you're reading, and what songs are played for which pages and stuff like that. Like it was a whole, like, you know, like it was, you're doing a stage play as you read this comic. And that kind of started happening as I reread these. I was like, oh, this sounds like this, and I think of this, so... Yeah, it's pretty organic. Now, this will be my first time doing a synopsis of a comic like this before, so I hope I do it right. But it is a comic that is very near and dear to my heart, and I got all giddy and stuff. I reread it. I think I have three copies of this book, all these Inferno books from like 238 to whatever it goes to. Like, this was my everything at that time. So I'm very excited to do. Do I just jump in, or what are we doing? Go ahead. Okay. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so we've got Inferno. This is X Men 240. And at the cover here, I mean, (laughs) Wolf, Silvestri, being Silvestri. And we've got Nahaster, Mr. Sinister, the Goblin Queen, the Marauders. This one's got it all. And it's like, yo, yeah, this is the book. We're doing it. Where's my dollar? Give me a dollar. And then you got the the amazing Art Adams head box up in the corner, that that classic X-Men number one Wolverine head. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's so good. And okay. So we open up Strike the Match. And so we've got a Stanley presentation starring the uncanny X-Men. Chris Claremont is the writer. Mark Silvestri is our penciler. Dan Green, inking. Glynis Oliver, colors. Tom Oranchowski as our letterer. Uh, Bob Harris' is editor. Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So we're starting off in a very swank, swank Manhattan high-rise, I imagine, here, it looks like. And we've got Alex Summers and Madeline Pryor dancing as a kind of swing band, very off-panelist, playing a saxophone. You've got a waiter standing attentively waiting for... Anything that they need, so it's this expensive club atop the RCA building. It's blocked out, just the two of them dancing, pleasantries, white people being rich. It's beautiful and wonderful. And then grab some, grab it, grab a bottle of the old bubbly and go out there on the out on the, the deck, the Lido deck, and we're looking out over wonderful Manhattan. We're cheersing the champagne, looking, and then all of a sudden people start, start screaming all these different obscenities and stuff. There's a ruckus, a wild rumpus is going on. They look back in. And there's comically drawn what appears to be Ghostbusters, but we can't say Ghostbusters, I don't think. <laughs> so the Ghostbusters are bickering, yaggity yaggedy, and it distracts from the Alex and Madeline having their, their moment. And apparently the Empire State Building is growing, and they're looking at it, and they can't believe, no, this isn't happening, yes, it's happening. So Inferno is starting up, and we're getting little peeks that Madeline might not be the best. And we're arguing, arguing, moving on, and the Ghostbusters get kicked out into an elevator. They go in there, the door closes, and bad stuff happens to them. (laughs) Then we're noticing and looking, Madeline's out in the observation deck, looks at the Empire State Building, and we get a glimpse that it's some weird organic version of itself. Go in the elevator, Alex and Madeline kiss, then poof! Gateway! We're back in Australia. This is when the X-Men were... Based in Australia. That is a very weird and specific time in my mind that I love. And they're there. Presume and presumed dead. And presumed dead. They're they're not X-Men right now. And so then their gateway brings them both back there. But nope, Madeline needs some alone time. She pops out and she's gone. She goes back to Bard College. We've got a very dark, like, on the moors kind of, you know, Chaucer-looking thing here. Graveyard, mist. And there's specters of her past life. Scott. Summer's tuxedo's there. She's talking to him. There's a vision of the wedding. She calls him a liar when he says that he'll take care of her. Jean Grey's gravestone is there. She sh- cow blows it up in her magnificent goblin queen attire. Oh, boy. <laughs> to to be 11 and see this art again is just yikes. (laughs) And then her parents are there and she blows them up and melts their faces and laughs as they turn into cocoons like it was Troll the movie. And then our demon comes down, Hastra, if I'm saying that right. And so she taunts him and toys with him, talky-talky. The parents she just blew up pop out of their cocoon as more goblin demons and poof, we're back in Australia. And now we've got Everybody's three-fingered, hollow-boned mutant. Longshot is there. Roller skating with our girl. Is that Dazzler? Oh, very much Dazzler. Roller skating with Dazzler. Sylvester's 80s attire is on point. Rogue is there with her. Oh, it's not Dazzler. Oh, is that? It's
2: Rogue in Dazzler's clothes. Oh, shoot. I just got that far. You're right.
0: Oh, my gosh. Boom. Mind telling me, Rogue, what you're doing? Wearing my clothes. Yes, it's Rogue. And that's what starts our fight here. And Rogue in the solid gold dancer's... (laughs) <laughs> Outfit that she's wearing here, fighting Dazzler. Oh, look, a water tower blows up because Marvel Comics hates water towers no matter where they're at.
2: <laughs>
0: and we poof, pop into Colossus in full rigid steel form. Drawing, sketching, is that Psylocke there? Naked, covered up all titanically. And boom, crashes in. There goes the art. Art class is over. And then we click back over, and what is... I missed this. We've got some fantastic... Oh, someone's monitoring everything that's going on in New York here. It's Havoc again. Oh, that is Havoc? Okay, so Alex is is monitoring what's going on. In walks the magnificently m- mohawked Aurora and that little Canadian guy. I forget his name. And we're uh, looking and They're important. kind of from Australia. They're monitoring what the heck's going down in, in New York. Then we're back, and now... We see a little bit more progress here with Madeline and the babies, and there's so much story happening here. It's fantastic. But I'm telling you, as you read this, it all works and it makes sense. And then, bang, we're back in Manhattan, but now we're down in the subways. We're subterranean Manhattan, and of course, that means Marauders. And we've got Marauders here. We got Sabertooth and Polaris, and yeah, they're all here. It's fantastic. They're working, working. Looks like they're setting up a base. They go walking into Clonk. Walks her right in the dark, right into Colossus. And the other half of the speedball special, fastball special, there's Wolvie. Bang, boom, Marauders are getting busted up. Ah, Yes, Marauders. X-Men. Magnificent. Fight, 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 fight. Everything looks wonderful. Everything's going bonkers because Sylvester and Claremont are the men. And then we are still fighting, still fighting. I love it. (laughs) So much fighting. (laughs) And then it ends up, here we are, uh, Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor, monologuing to Hastra, turns around, says, you have a name chum, and boom, it's Colossus with white skin and purple armor with a weird cape. Oh, wait, no, it's Mr. Sinister. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Guys, there's so much going on in this episode here. And it's Yeah, this is the big it's reveal. Amazing. Yeah. This is where all the this pieces is... are starting to fall together.
2: Yeah. This is technically Inferno chapter one, even though Inferno yes. really has kind of started here. It's where we get the reveal the, that that Malin Pryor is a clone yeah. of Jean Grey. Yep. Yeah. Well, we get the first hints that she's a clone here. That right. She is we, not...
1: we see the the chamber and and
0: the, yeah, that's what it was. The chamber readout. And it's funny that like up to this time, were we just supposed to believe that they didn't? They only had X amount of women they could draw in comic books, and so this one looks like this.
2: I mean, that kind nice. of was the case in comics, especially like in this in the years prior to when Malin showed up. Mm-hmm right
1: gene yeah. gray is mj is like a right. redhead <laughs>
2: yep. yeah so this scene in the rainbow room mm-hmm. like, i love it so much yeah. because like madeline is doing so much here mm-hmm.
0: and alex yeah. is just uh, completely oblivious to it oh yeah no it's happening all he's around alex. him it's absolutely ha- happening around him and it's it's masterful. It's so good because it's like watching a movie a second time when you've seen how it ends and you go back and watch it again and you can focus on one character or one weird detail. It feels like that. Like, her
2: dress changes from panel to panel yep. depending on, like, is she being all Goblin Queen right now or is she being all seducing Alex right now? Mm-hmm. And like, I love the scene of them on the balcony because you just imagine that all this shit that's going down in Inferno in New York City is happening around them. Mm-hmm. And Alex is just oblivious. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Because he is so absorbed in Madeline. It is so good. So well done here. Yeah, it's. Uh, and yeah, now that you mentioned, I look at it and her dress is different in every single panel. With shoulder pads, yeah. long sleeve, short sleeve, long gloves. It's gloves, so no gloves. It's so weird, yeah. yeah.
1: There's the one panel where she's looking through the, the telescope thing where mm-hmm. she's just in her regular costume.
0: Yep, yep, yep. She's not even in a gown. She's in the, yeah, the, the Goblin Queen costume and everything. And then she turns around and she's under this deep neck cut little slinky number. And they Which get, has been different in the very next
1: panel and after
0: they, that. Yeah, they get on the elevator and she's got big square shoulder pads and the full length sleeves.
2: Yeah. It's very smart. So well done. And then there's the scene at Bard College. Oh, yeah. In the graveyard at Bard College. Something I learned apparently, Jean Grey is not the only major Marvel character. Buried at Bard College, apparently also Karen Page will later be buried at Bard College after she's killed by Kevin
0: Smith. (laughs) Wow, Um, I did not know that. Okay.
2: Another fact I learned about Bard College on their faculty, um, comics writer Neil Gaiman. I didn't know that. Yes.
0: <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> but yeah, it's Silvestri just melting and just burning like the parents, the summers, is, I mean, not summers, the grays is wow. Just all of these things are just, I mean, it just stops from them, the, the opulence of being in Manhattan to then the cold clammy, just like wetness of that Bard college graveyard. And it's cheese. Oh, peas, man. It's fantastic.
2: And then we get some shenanigans with dazzler rogue and a uh, long shot there. Mm-hmm. It, now, the thing the one thing i'm wondering is which version of rogue is this because i thought that carol was in is in charge for most of inferno mm. so
1: in the the last issue we read she was sort of bouncing back and forth okay so it's not clear who's running the show right now it seems yeah. like more like it's rogue because the southern accent's coming through Should've. yeah right yeah. um is this the horniest era of x-men
2: it is super horny.
0: Oh, yeah. No, the Inferno <laughs> era, because that's when like, yeah, I mean, there's ones where it's like it's all the, the women, the the ex-women are banned together as evil versions of themselves for a couple panels that Sylvester draws. And it's like, whew, get out of the way, man. It's something else for sure.
2: Yeah, th- this, like this one of X-Men has definitely signed of, up for Blue Sky. In a matter of pages,
1: we've got Madeline seducing her ex-husband's brother. Mm-hmm. We've got Rogue... Dressing up as Longshot's girlfriend to go roller skating with him. Mm -hmm. We've got Colossus playing Titanic with with
0: Psylocke, as
1: you you put it. But why Uh, is he in his
0: armored form? Why is he in his trunks with his legs wide open like that drawing her when he could just be (laughs) Peter in in like house clothes? i
1: have no idea
0: like the only the only
1: two who are not a part of this is storm and wolverine and frankly i don't want to think about what they're up to when we're not looking
0: well frankly looking at them after they're talking to alex in the control room there it looks like they just finished doing what everyone else is about to do
2: <laughs> this is true they definitely give off mom and dad vibes here yeah yeah
0: absolutely yes yes
2: Like, okay, children, let's go take care of the marauders now. (laughs) Mm -hmm,
1: Exactly. (laughs) Which, that's such a good fight. Yeah. It's a good fight.
0: Absolutely. And that's the thing is that there's so much bouncing around back and forth, back and forth going on here. And none of it feels to, like, take you out of what's going on. Like, it's not what's going on now. It's like, okay, (laughs) meanwhile, over here. And it's like, all right, let's go over here. (laughs) There's
2: the scene where Alex comes upon Polaris, who.
0: Not literally.
2: No, no no we're not that horny okay but he 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 finds polaris she's controlled by malice at this point and polaris just mocking him and it seems like the only point where alex comes out of his madeline induced haze he'd be like oh no wait this is the woman i love yeah right uh, yeah
0: but that devil not last and long. then
1: colossus gets launched like a projectile in a railgun
0: mm-hmm. exactly yes yeah and you know Pol- polaris might just be the most 80s 80s that ever 80ed in this comic book. I mean, yes. like <laughs> the
1: the short jacket and the the green hair and the yeah. mask.
0: It's all very 80s. Yep, yep. Her, giant, her so. giant new wave mullet thing that's V shaped somehow too. She's very goes with yep. the Gozerian. I don't know what's happening there. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then finally we get Madeline come being met by Sinister and like yep. you may call me Father. Yeah, boy. <laughs> So does this make sinister
0: daddy he's he's is zaddy I,
2: I think <laughs> yes. there's definitely i think there's definitely a section of the x fandom who is always considered sinister daddy <laughs> uh, but yeah Let's
0: understand right
2: it is a good
0: comic yeah it really it is. is
1: and and like, if we're thinking of inferno as centering madeline pryor as a as an important character mm-hmm. then yes absolutely this is inferno part one yep yeah This is part one of her really sort of taking charge of the
0: event. And it definitely, it makes you go, this writing for Madeline makes Jean have to step the F up. Like Jean's got to do some stuff to keep up with this because Madeline is on, firing on all cylinders, going for it. Like she's on it. She's, she knows what she's angry. She knows who wronged her. She knows what she wants to get done. And Jean's got to get herself sorted out
1: knowing that Claremont never wanted Gene to come back in the first place like, yep. it's like he's pouring all of that bitterness into Madeline Pryor
0: and it's a perfect vessel for it that's how she should feel it is.
1: <laughs> yes <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and what I liked in the previous issue the x Factor, show I didn't talk about there's a scene there where Gene kind of just snaps at, at Scott you're like this is your fucking fault for going and getting married right yep. and having a kid with someone else yeah
0: yeah yeah no matter how much she looked like me yep mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. He just got convinced. You were dead. We were <laughs> and, on a break. And
0: especially
1: like <laughs> just 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 wait till Scott finds out about this issue.
2: She's a clone. Like, what was I supposed to do?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> but baby, it was kinda you. <laughs> well, that's what they're heading for. That's what they're hinting at here. That's the reason why we're gonna find out that Gene has this connection with Christopher. Because right. genetically they're he is connected. her son. Yeah. So yeah. It's a fun issue. Really a it lot is. of fun.
0: Claremont knocks out of the park. There's a reason he's king of the X-Books at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No. Poof. And Sylvester's coming into his his own here. I mean, I'm telling you, each piece, there's – let's see if we can find it, guys. There is a page here that is so simple and so easy, and it's at the beginning. It is where they are in the, the tower there. And Madeline is – you see a side-eyeing all the evil stuff – the elevator eating the Ghostbusters and all that kind of stuff. And Alex is just completely oblivious. Where is it? Here it is. Yeah, got it. there it is. Okay. Page number three here where the Ghostbuster guy is yelling at Alex's face. And you just see Madeline in like just her red hair and like green slit, like eye shapes and all black. And it's like, oh, dang. Tiny little things like that are just like there's for as much storytelling as Sylvester. I mean, excuse me, as Claremont does. And he is a god wow, like, Silvestri is on point keeping up pace with him, for sure.
2: It is so good. And, you know, he's he's doing the cartoony thing that, that we talk
0: about with McFarlane, but he's doing it so much better. Yeah, it, well, it's got, it's got the full toolbox of things can be sharp, things can be round, things can be soft, things can be hard. Like, I get it if it's stretched and exaggerated, but it needs to have some sort of bones, like, tied to reality, and then can push and pull and, in and those he's directions. he's doing it
1: on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Like, like Alex and Madeline and the, the Mater D there all mm-hmm. look more or less sort of realistic mm-hmm. for want mm-hmm. of a better word. Yeah. It, it's the, the would be ghostbusters and all the stuff around them. That's sort of a little bit more warped. Yeah. Um, and, and that's because it's all sort of comic relief anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, so and they, they, they read works. like that too. Yeah. They read like they should be silly looking kind of.
1: Right. I mean, they're, they're sort of doing a parody of, dan Aykroyd dialogue from ghostbusters Mm
2: -hmm. and you know we talked about with inferno and the heat wave the heat coming off the page here With the vestry's art here it really comes off the page it's a different kind of heat
0: yeah yeah
2: we talked about this being the horniest era of Mm x-men but it is really really good stuff and yeah you're definitely you know we talked about this the great thing about this crossover is the stakes get higher and higher And higher and higher. For example, we're just now feeling the stakes in Spider-Man now. Like it's really affecting things. And (laughs) in the X-books, holy crap, are the stakes high? Absolutely.
0: Everybody has that personal connection. Yep. And that's the thing too is there's so many everybody's. There's so many people, and it works. It doesn't. No one feels left out or clunky. Somehow, it all works. At least in my opinion.
1: Even back in X Factor. Warren, who's been sort of out of the loop with the rest of the team for a while because the guy that killed Candy Southern was in league with the demons. He's got personal stakes. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's Jack. What song came to mind for this excellent, excellent issue of Uncanny x Well, X-Men?
0: I'm happy to say that I have an excellent, excellent song for this issue. This issue dealt a lot with just Madeline being clone starting out Jean Grey is no longer dead it's got a very dark spooky sinister feel and I had to pick one of my all time favorite sleeper songs and it is No One Lives Forever by Oingo Boingo and if you oh, listen to this it. song it actually starts out and yes. it is super Halloween-y and spooky and there's no one lives and there's a, it's the hour of the wolf and I don't want to die it's very yeah atmosphere when she's at Bard College and there's the mist and the the past visions around the tombstones. It matches this, and it's so 80s, it hurts. I love it so much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Featuring Danny Elfman, of course. Oh, yeah, lead singer of Oingo
0: Boingo.
1: I I miss Danny Elfman's new era. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: What's funny is that Oingo Boingo started out as the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo with his older brother, Richard, and they didn't want their little brother Danny in the band. They thought he was a punk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and... and... (laughs) In a lot of ways, kind of ended up taking the
0: mainstream. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely, for sure.
1: Because they were kind of more of a performance art.
0: Mm-hmm. They were a stage live visual act that had music and stuff like that. And then once they, you know, at the same time with the coupling with soundtracks and scores and stuff like that, that definitely pushed them over into that. edge new wave. like was going. Yeah, because
1: I've seen clips of Mystic Knights of the Ongo Boongo on like the gong show yep. and stuff.
0: absolutely. Yeah. And it was very a visual kind of weirdo thing. The and of course, and uh,
1: Forbidden Zone
0: is sort oh, of yeah. The, yeah. the classic Oingo Boingo text. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. But then you got, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, you know, back to school and they're the band in the movie and stuff like, you know, just I love that whole era where like real bands were the bands at the party in the movie kind of thing.
2: I know so little about music, I and mean, I just love—I love hearing people talk about music.
0: <laughs> well, especially when it touches into, into regular weird pop culture as well, too. I mean, it just flushes it out completely. And this song—it just there's so much going on, and and, and also with this ep- with this issue, it's there's so much going on. I was like, well, that's definitely "No One Lives Forever." Very nice. So happy dancing while
2: the grimmer is for Cuts, 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 Buddy
1: Power Pack number 42, written and penciled by John Bogdanov, inks by Stan Drake and Don Hudson, colorist is Glennis Oliver, letterer is Joe Rosen, the editor is Carl Potts, and the editor-in-chief is Tom DeFalco. Okay, I'm not a power, power Pack guy, so bear with me. But this guy that evidently they had fought in previous issues, Doug Carmody, is trapped in limbo because in his last encounter with the Power Pack, they teamed up with the New Mutants, and Ileana Rasputin sent him to Limbo and left him.
2: This guy's just some, just some schmuck in armor. Mm. And, like, right. he, he, he gets faced with the New Mutants, and you're like, oh, you're fucked. Mm. Right,
1: right. Unfortunately for him, or maybe fortunately for him, I don't know. Maybe he's into this. But Ileana has lost control of Limbo. Sim, a demon we've seen in previous issues of things has taken over, although Nastir is also kind of taking over. It's all sort of chaotic and limbo. And Mm -hmm. Nastir basically turns this guy into a demonic servant, but different from the other demonic servants we've seen in other books, because this guy seems to keep a lot more of his personality. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, it's hot, just like it's been in all the other issues. Everything's awful. There are traffic jams all the time. Trash is lining the sidewalk. Basically, in it, Inferno manifests differently in each book, and in this one it seems to be manifesting in all of these kind of annoying ways. Mm-hmm. And so Jim Power is walking home from work, He's facing cutbacks from the research grant that he had gotten for his job, the, the air conditioning was out, he lost two months' worth of his work because of a computer failure, he's in a bad mood. He finally gets home, and his wife, Maggie, has been cleaning all day, apparently, and no matter how much she cleans, things still stay a mess. It's hot in the apartment as well. The kids all seem to be sick. The kids, of course, are Power Pack. Alex Power, Julie Power, Jack Power, and Katie Power. And they're all running fevers and are bedridden. And Maggie tries to clean the bathroom so that maybe they could all take cold showers to cool off a little bit, but no matter how much she scrubs, it stays dirty. When they turn on the tap of the, the bathtub, it starts spewing sewage. Scalding hot sewage. Which sounds like maybe the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the streets of Manhattan, Doug Carmody has reemerged as a boogeyman. He is basically targeting anybody that offends his personal sensibilities. So he goes after one guy for stealing drugs. He later goes after another guy for being obese and, and not being responsible with his wealth and power. He, he's sort of taking out everybody that he's... The kids continue to feel ill, which doesn't seem right because they're supposed to have healing factors that prevent them from getting sick like this. They... Remember that one time they were infected by pestilence and they were able to combine their healing powers in order to get better, but they can't do that with their parents around because it would raise suspicions. Their parents are trying to figure out what to do, where to go. Initially, Jim says that they need to stay put. It's far worse out there. Alex, one of the kids, collapses walking down the hall, trying to get to the bathroom. They open the door and the whole bathroom is overgrown with fuzzy mildew. Maggie runs off to try and get something to clean it with. Alex goes in and and tries to take care of it himself. He uses his powers to vaporize the mildew, but just as he clears it all away, it all continues to spread and regrow. It grows right up his legs. As the toilet overflows in front of him as well, it's all pretty nasty. Pretty nasty. Then the the radio goes haywire... They have to smash it with a rolling pin. Finally, they decide, the parents decide that maybe it is in fact time to take their chances outside the In the kids' bedroom. The boogeyman emerges from under the bed and tries to get revenge for their defeating him in a previous issue. But he doesn't kill any of them. He has something better in mind and tells them that he can go anywhere, any place, and they'll never know where he's coming. The kids Get in the elevator with their parents. Just then, the boogeyman tears the roof of the elevator open and forces the kids to out themselves as superheroes in front of their To be continued, I guess.
0: So I've never read any Power Pack before. Me either. I just always remember that that you could sign away for the free comic with Spider Man and Power Pack about grown ups touching kids, <laughs> and I never read it. You guys remember no. that ad? There was a free, com- yeah, was yeah. a free comic oh, yeah. book that was like, you know, your body is yours. And I don't know. At this time, you know, I wasn't I was just a preteen. I think I might have been 12, 11. It's like I didn't want to read a comic book about eight year olds. Like, what? get out of here.
2: No, no. And I think that's that's the same sort of the same hesitation I've had about Power Pack. I mean, it's 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 good. This is a good issue. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It, yeah, I'll give it that yeah it it's it is a very good issue of power pack i'm not sure i want to read more power pack but john Bogdanoff does an excellent job here communicating the heat yeah like well and this and, is the and, most, and just
1: mm. how progressively awful things get
2: yeah yeah this is the most miserable i have seen people in this whole crossover yeah. and it really sucks yeah
0: it's pretty gross
2: and his artwork is great here like yeah, when you, just, when you
0: switch over to that page with the uh, father power That's like just endless text blocks. Everything's yellow and it sucks and everything's sweltering and it's flies over and trash stink waves and stuff. It's like, oh, my God.
1: Although also I saw that many caption boxes on the page and I kind of (laughs) felt the same way he did.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You you could tell he is an artist, you know, trying his hand at being a writer for the first time. Yeah. Right. Uh.
1: And I don't know if so. This must be a fill in. No, I guess he took over the book at this point. So Power Pack, I know, was a Louise Simonson book. Mm-hmm. He created yeah. the team. Mm-hmm. Bogdanov was her frequent collaborator on a lot of stuff, yeah. X Factor, and, and even yeah. over at DC, Man of Steel, like that. I, yeah. I guess it. I guess at this point during Inferno, she handed the reins of the book to Bogdanov.
2: I mean, she was doing everything there. Him. Yeah, that's true. Like right. she's writing a lot of this crossover. She and uh, yeah. she and her husband. Yeah, it it kind of seems like Bogdanov took like writing lessons from chris claremont well it, it's like
1: chris claremont it's doing chris claremont the way early roy thomas was
0: doing stan lee oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good one i can see that definitely yep
1: Where, are we're we're like he got the style and the format but it was a little bit wordier and it, it didn't he hadn't quite figured it out yet
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there's some interesting, none of it's, it's not that it's uninteresting. It's just that sometimes you turn a page and like, okay, and go. And you kind of just kind of throw yourself into all the the text that's on here, but it's not awful. It's just a lot, man. It, it,
1: It is funny though, to see an artist not trusting the art to tell the story.
0: Oh yeah. That's, that's a chip on your shoulder kind of situation. You're right. I didn't think of it that way. Absolutely.
1: Because it is sort of because there's a lot of the stuff that maybe could be shortened or cut is sort of telling you things that you could just see.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Show versus tell. That's interesting, especially in that first page where it's just power walking. It's just like he's cluttered with boxes of words.
2: It's really interesting. The the villain design is really creepy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. The
2: scene where he's just going down the 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 road, like he just he's just making his way down the road, like addressing his personal grievances of each of the drivers he comes along. And I'm sorry, is it just me, or does the guy, or is the fat loudmouth guy he devours at the end of that
0: Rush Limbaugh <laughs> a little bit? It could be. I just like how before that, the the one guy in the tank top that robs someone in their car and gets more coke than he's ever seen in his life. And just the white hand goes pop glitch. And he just like pops his head. Like, that's it. Your head's popped. You're done. (laughs) What? Not what you expect Um, in Power Pack. (laughs) No. (laughs) And then why is Katie in Power Pack topless in all these scenes, sweating in bed? Right. That's a child. It's an odd choice. I I don't. It
2: was more acceptable in the 80s. Yeah. To show a prepubescent child. Right it just feels un- very uncomfortable for us now.
0: Yeah, it, I don't feel, I'm not saying it feels sexualized or anything weird like that. It's just, it is jarring yeah. nowadays. It's like when you watch a movie from the 80s, like The Great Outdoors, and as an adult, you, you imagine that to be something that's family. And then you're like, oh my God, I, did movies curse this much back then? Did we not know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you forget right. certain things until you're actually staring it in the face. And yeah, you're right. I'm well, not like, saying it's sexualized. It's just very odd through today's lens. It's like the pro on mon- was...
1: Monster Squad, and and there's mm-hmm. all the like casual homophobia yep. and, and all that,
0: exactly.
2: Yeah, I think child nudity was just a lot more like hee-hee, cute baby running around naked and not so much oh my god, some pervert's getting off on this mm-hmm. somewhere.
0: Yeah, right, people weren't thinking that where now we would be because those people had all that material to work with back then.
2: <laughs> Ugh. Huh. Yeah. It's, but Bogdanov's but artwork's very good. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I always and, say this about Bogdanov, but...
1: And I, I, again, I just love the creature design of the the Boogeyman character. He looks like in the movie he'd be played by Danny DeVito. hmm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also giving off a lot of John Leguizamo spawn action here, too.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. A little bit the clown, a little bit the Max.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, right, yep. But I, I can say this, I do feel... What I think I'm supposed to be feeling looking at what these people are going through in this comic. I do feel yeah like a exasperated, exhausted, sticky, sweaty. That freaking mold bathroom is busting me up, man. There's yeah. a, a new yeah. horror, a new horror book called House of Rot that just came out by Danger Slater's author, and it's all about an apartment that grows over with mold, and that's it's so gross. And I I seeing that page kind of gave me shock. It's pretty, pretty heavy duty. This well, it's, 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 it's an awesome issue. A- yeah, it's very much that like scene from Creepshow. Mm, hmm. Yeah, Jordy. Yeah, yeah. It is, and you know that's the thing is if you dropped into Power Pack like like we did, I think here on this, and this is your issue. That's a damn good comic. That's pretty good. You know.
2: Oh, yeah. And apparently, it's a critical point in Power Pack's development because at the end of the issue, their parents, it's revealed to their parents that they are, their kids are superheroes. Which apparently, they didn't know up to this point. Seems like that would right.
0: be ridiculously freeing for a writer, right?
2: Right. Yes. <laughs> Which it's a new writer coming in, so yeah, he's freeing himself from he's changing the status quo. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: It's, I mean, I never hated Power Pack when they showed up. I'm not one of those people who are like, "It's a kitty book. Hey. Yeah. I grew
0: out of that, you know, at a certain point in my life. But I never went willing to seek out Power Pack. Yeah, it was more of a, it's. I know it's not my flavor kind of thing, you know. I'm not yeah. going to actively go hate on it. I just know, eh, you know, let them have yeah. that. I and,
1: guess and and like. It was it was fine. Like when they'd show, like they'd show up in an event like this, or they'd cross over into Fantastic Four or whatever. Yeah. like they're, they're just sort of a part of the Marvel universe, and I'm content to let them.
2: Yeah, although a Power Pack movie would be fun. They've always been talking about a Power Pack movie for a few years now.
1: It it almost happened at least once. In fact, yeah, there was a TV pilot.
2: That
0: oh, that's filmed. right. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. It was that's, like
1: 1991.
0: That's on the one of those lost media conversations. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lost um, pilot. Well, I, it's I don't. Been shown. Yeah, I don't think it, it's not technically lost, but it's like to the like pop culture conscience, it's definitely lost.
1: Yeah, it, it, like the Generation X TV movie. Um, yeah, there's a 27 minute pilot. It was originally developed for NBC for Saturday morning. Oh, it's on YouTube. Fox pick, Fox picked it up and broadcast it just on its own.
0: But is it, it, is, is this is this around developed. the time when like uh, Saved by the Bell was working as a live action show at the end of cartoons type of thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And hey guys, quick, yeah.
2: quick, 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 quick non sequitur. <laughs> What's your favorite unproduced pilot, like Ooh. pilot that didn't go to series? Because mine's look well, wow. which is the Adam West Conan O'Brien created.
1: Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of.
2: Yeah. Boy. See, I claimed it first because I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> he had to do dibs? <laughs> dibs. I, I totally call dibs on Lookwell. Oh, guys, if you've never seen the Look Well pilot before, check it out on YouTube. It's, it it it's is fascinating.
0: Really wow. good. You guys got me there. I can't think of one that I can it's, think I can think of shows that I wish went past one season or I could think of ideas that I wish made it to a pilot. But, boy, an actual pilot that didn't happen? Hmm, I don't know about that one. So, I might be getting um, too much into my TV knowledge there.
1: <laughs> I, I'm gonna do the other like weird combination of people, unproduced pilot, Heat Vision and Jack. Ooh. This was supposed to be on Fox. It was directed by Ben Stiller. It what? starred Jack Black, starred Jack Black, Owen Wilson, and Ron Silver, and was written by Dan Harmon.
0: Oh jeez.
1: <laughs> jack Jack Black played a former astronaut who gets superpowers from a burst of solar energy. And Heat Vision is his talking motorcycle, voiced by Owen Wilson.
0: Oh, what? (laughs) No. It's
1: like like every late 70s genre TV show crammed together.
0: Oh, it's BJ and the Bear. That's amazing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down of, like, pilots that never made it to series. Oh, my gosh. And, and, And
1: for anybody... For anybody curious, Lookwell and Heat Vision and Jack, both of those pilots are on YouTube. You can oh, find them. As,
2: as is the Power Pack pilot, apparently. Wow. Yeah.
1: And and again, Generation X
0: got one of those. It got a TV movie, yeah.
1: It,
2: yeah, but it was a it was a pilot.
1: So was the Nick Fury movie. Like, that was a pilot.
0: Or the Doctor um, Strange live action? Yeah, 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, or the yeah. 80s, I think.
1: Over on the DC side, there was a live action Justice League of America pilot mm-hmm. that was inspired by <laughs> the, the Justice League International era. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of those out there. Even Sam Raimi's Darkman got a TV by
2: way. Oh, yeah. So back to Power Pack Mm. for a minute here, Jack. Yeah. What song came to mind for this?
0: This was an interesting one for me because I felt the song in my head, and I had to look it up because I just knew bits of it. I knew how it felt, but I couldn't remember the name. And the song that absolutely encompasses this issue here is Devo's Too Much Paranoias. And it is clangy, jangly, hard, fast, abrasive, just jagged. And it feels like that is the world that these people are just slaving through to just survive. Is too much paranoia is by Diva.
1: Yeah, there's kind of a sense of the the losing control of everything.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's a very hot, loud 80s just in your face. And how are you going to live through this kind of volume of life?
1: and I, it is you know i it's funny and I, I don't know power pack so i just don't know if this is common or not but it's a superhero comic where there's virtually no superhero
0: yeah movie. no right.
1: right it's a little bit like reading an issue of superman where he's affected by kryptonite for the whole issue
0: mm-hmm. yeah but, but it's they just get the into st-
1: costume on the final page right and they're it's like the
0: st- oh snap that looks fantastic you know what's funny is that when i went to i went to excalibur comics here in portland which is the oldest comic shop i think we have is founded in 75 and i went to their power pack stack and i told him i'm going i'm looking for comics for the most portland reason ever i'm going to be a guest on a podcast and i need weird issues <laughs> and i told him the guy looked at me kind of strange and go yeah i need i need power pack 40 what is this 3 42
1: 42 yeah
0: 42 and that big front cover art there they didn't have it they yeah. had 41 and they had 43 but 43 the the letterbox is actually the Boogeyman's face from Forty Two on Forty Three. Nice. So yeah, they didn't have it, but it was <laughs> so to have this here is is really good.
1: Oh, yeah, and and all I can figure with that is maybe somebody pulled it to add to an Inferno set or something.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean that that someone would definitely be me. I was that way with a lot of this stuff here, like the Atlantis attacks and whatnot and all that. Yeah,
2: well i think that does it for another episode of tomb of ideas our summer long inferno coverage yes oh boy. excellent
0: things are heating up folks sure yeah it,
2: inferno is definitely definitely started now we, we spent a, i think we spent like two episodes just like working on preamble
0: mm-hmm.
2: i think this is the first episode where we are fully full speed ahead of inferno yep
0: mailboxes and, are coming to life trains are subway trains are turning into snakes cats and dogs are living <laughs> together and yeah. that's just what you're seeing out your window right now right that's, not, that's just happening <laughs> here
1: we we have come a long way from daredevil being attacked by a vacuum
2: <laughs> very much so jack thank you so much for joining us hey thank um, you so much for yes. having me you guys and, and please, we really appreciated yes, your song and, and, selections
1: yes that was awesome tell listeners where else they can find you and and your stuff.
0: Absolutely. I am, let's see, predominantly I started off with my horror fanzine, The Stapled Spine, which I still to this day can't believe someone hasn't taken yet. Stapled Spine horror fanzine. And that's recently, last winter, rolled out into I have a weekly FM radio show, which is archived and available for streaming online at xray.fm and that's basically, I'd say it fights square fighting music. It's Black rock and roll and greaser music, and then like spooky songs. And, anyways, it's one hour a week every Friday that we play, and you can hear on xray.fm. I'm very active here in the Portland local scene as a Oregonian founder, and just all the spooky stuff that happens here in Oregon, doing live events and whatnot. And all of the thankfully, all of our cons and everything are coming back as the world is healing. And yeah, I'm just (laughs) very active online for anything like Stapled Spine or Stapled Sounds radio show. You can find me there. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so damn much. This was awesome. So, guys, make sure you go check that out. All good stuff.
2: And, of course, you can find us We on all the social medias at this point. We're still on Twitter <laughs> before, you know, it collapses into the hellscape. That's at Tomb of Ideas. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas. On Instagram, at Tomb of Ideas. And Trey and I are both now on Blue Sky. Right,
1: we're working on getting the show an account set up, but until then, I'm at tlawson.bluesky.social,
2: and I'm at mrhixson.bluesky.social. Whatever you can find me if you search my name is fine.
1: I'm I'm tlawson everywhere. So <laughs> just about. <laughs> I, I I guess we're on Instagram at tomb of ideas, Facebook yeah. at tomb of
2: ideas. Yeah, I, said, I mentioned those.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Have we, have we created a Threads? So I don't keep up with stuff.
2: We don't have an official. No, we, we gotta hate Threads. It's so bad. bad. It's so bad. Yeah. Like. Okay. Ugh.
1: But you can find our whole back catalog on Cynapunks.com.
2: Yep. That's CinePunks
1: with an X along with a lot of other really great shows, such as the flagship CinePunks show, Cinema Smorgasbord, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Horror Business, and a whole lot more. So make sure you check out CinePunks.com.
0: CinePunks is crazy awesome. So good to get lost in there.
2: (laughs) And of course, your homework, love listeners, for next episode is Power Pack number 43, Daredevil 263, avengers 300 Exterminators terminators number four and new mutants number 72 so get to it so
1: we'll get some direct payoffs from some of the epi- from the some of the issues we talked about this episode
2: yeah and but until next time tomb believers bye bye
0: bye you have been listening to the tomb of ideas a marvel horror podcast
2: Until next time, (laughs) two members, (laughs) Exhelsior!